Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. All right, welcome back everyone. It is good to be back here together with you again today. Today is December the 9th. Hopefully you're listening to this maybe later in the day. I'm recording this in the morning. It's about 10.30 here, or possibly tomorrow. It depends. I wanted to share with you some thoughts. I want to get right into this from Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse number 7. This is where Jesus was talking to his disciples about asking, seeking, and knocking. And in the context here, we see a few things um, revealed to us. We see the personality of God as being a father. And also we see God as a provider of the things that we would need in everyday life. And I know the challenges that we all face throughout our lifetime is have to do with the opposition to good, the opposition to righteousness, the opposition to wholeness that we face here in this world. You know, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Remember our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and then the part of God's will being done here on earth as it is in heaven. You know, in heaven, God's will is done 100%. There is no sickness in heaven. There is no discouragement in heaven. There is no doubt or fear in heaven. But yet all those things are here on earth. Do you know why? Because it says in 1 Corinthians 4, 4, that the devil, Satan, the fallen spirit, is the God, little g, of this world, the overseer of this world. And this world lies in a darkness. You and I are a light in the dark places for other people. And yet we have our own challenges. We have our own obstacles that we overcome in life. And with God's help, we'll do exactly that. Now, I'm sure most of you have read these verses before. If, you've, if you read the Bible, or if you study the Bible, or if you've listened to preaching, read books, you're familiar with these verses. But sometimes I notice what happens is that our experience kind of supersedes what we're seeing God say as far as what our expectations are. I know that some people temper their expectations, and the reason is is because their past experience kind of has has given them the feeling that, well, we can't rely on God 100% of the time. Sometimes he answers our prayer. Sometimes he doesn't. And, And so this is what I want to kind of focus on today, getting past that sometimes God answers and sometimes he doesn't. Or sometimes we can know his will and sometimes we can't. So let's just jump right into this. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse number 7, this is the American King James Version. Ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Now here is a a stark contrast. Evil people, evil men, evil women know how to give good things to their children. Even wicked people do good things for their children. Of course, they do bad things also, but... In this context, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Now, the word there, ask, if you have a concordance or you look it up online, 
in the original Greek is the word aheteo. It's A-I-T-E-O, pronounced aheteo. And it means to ask, to beg, to call for, to crave, to desire, or require. And so it's not just the, the verbalizing of it, but it's the heart intention behind the asking. When you see words like beg or call for or crave, you know that the asking is serious. Now, the same word is used in Matthew 21, 22, where it says, And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. So we see three things here. Number one, we see ask. Number two, we see ask in prayer. And number three, we see ask in prayer, believing. If you do those three things, again, ask, ask in prayer, ask in prayer, believing. If you do those three things, then you receive. But it's always given to you according to Mark 7, 7. Ask and it shall be given to you, not ask and it might be given to you. Ask or there's when you ask, there's a better chance you'll get it. No, it's, it's a very definite. Ask and it shall. It shall. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open to you. There's really no room there for error. If you took Jesus' words at face value, then you would say that these are definites. When Jesus says, it shall be given to you. If Jesus appeared right now, called you by name, looked into your eyes and said, called your name and said, if you ask, it shall be given to you. How much more do you think your expectancy level would rise up from, from a place of deep down inside that you currently do not have when you just see these words in print on a printed page or on a monitor in front of you if you're looking at it online. Okay, let's go a little bit further. In John chapter 15, verse 7, still in the American King James Version, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you. Remember, again, there's three things. Number one, ask. Number two, ask in prayer. Number three, ask in prayer, believing. So the first one is pretty easy to do, asking. Asking in prayer, again, it's not really a big deal for most people, but asking in prayer, believing, is where somewhat of a disconnect can happen from time to time. And notice what Jesus said again in John chapter 15, verse number seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, so there's the word if there. What if you don't abide in him or his words don't abide in you? Now, you know, when you, when you hear this, sometimes you get into a works type of mentality. And depending on what scriptures you look at, the Bible seems to imply at times that works are important. What you do, what you say, your actions are of great importance. And then there's other verses that you can take and make a counter argument argument to that and say, well, your works will never be enough to put you in a place of righteousness or put you in a place of faith and believing. So your ability to reconcile these two things in your heart as you go from one situation in life to another are really important. And I almost would say that it's not even the ability of a preacher or a teacher or, or your friend or your Bible study group or anybody else to be able to persuade you of the reality of this. It's something that you have to take to God for yourself. It's something that is has to be resolved within your own heart when it comes to asking and asking 
believing and when it comes to the nature and personality of God as a father. So, all right, let's keep on going. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 20 says, Now to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. There's the word ask again, same word in the original Greek. Let me, let me read the whole thing through. Now to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Notice a few things there. The word ask, again, in the original language is the same, aheteo. And notice that God is able to do not just what we ask or not just what we think. You can put a lot of emphasis on your part in this whole procedure. You can put a lot of emphasis on what you need to do when you're praying. You can put emphasis on the asking or the thinking. And you can almost draw a conclusion that God is limited to what we ask or what we think. But according to this verse, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above even what we can ask or what we can think. In other words, he's not limited to that. Now, some people might say, well, doesn't the Bible say according to your faith, so be it unto you? Yeah, it does say that, but it also says that he is also able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. That's what the grace of God is. That's what the favor of God is. That's what the goodness of God is. Sometimes he'll do exactly according to what you believe, and sometimes he'll do exceedingly abundantly above that. And if you just put God in a box and think that he can only do according to exactly what you ask or only up to the point of what you think, then again, you put yourself in a place where all of the burden, I guess we would say, is on your shoulders. The burden to believe, the burden to say the right things, the burden to live right. All of these burdens come upon people. And yet, didn't Jesus say that, you know, my, my burden is easy? And my yoke is light. Come to me, all of you who need, uh, who are heavily burdened, and I'll give you rest. Absolutely. So, as I said, one of the very first words, the very first thoughts that I shared with you today, sometimes people can, they just can't, how, what's the best way to say it? They just can't reconcile the fact that God can be this loving Father, giving Father. In Him there is no darkness, neither shadow of turning. He's willing and able to do abundantly above all we can ask or think. And yet he, on the other hand, is this judge who will cast people into a lake of fire for rejecting a simple plan of salvation. Are both things realities? Absolutely. But you know what? You don't have to know God as judge if you know Jesus. I don't think that side of him will ever be seen again after the story that we're living through right now comes to its ultimate conclusion. After Satan and his angels and uh, and all those who um, loved unrighteousness and loved the darkness, after they are judged and cast out of the presence of God, I don't think that the creation as a whole will ever see the judgment of God again. maybe, Maybe I could be wrong, but I think that that example will be something that will be in the hearts and minds of all creation from that point forward here and forever. And so, you know, why would you embrace darkness when you can have light? 
All right, let's go. Let's keep going. John chapter first John, I'm sorry, chapter five or yeah, chapter five, starting in verse 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, there's the word ask again, same word. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, whatever we ask, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we desired of him. So if you find yourself in a place where you don't know what the will of God is, just look at Jesus. If you come to a place where you're trying to figure out what is the personality of God the Father really like, just look at Jesus. If you find yourself wondering what the Holy Spirit is like, again, look at Jesus' entire life as it is written out for us to see in the New Testament. And we can see also in the Old Testament, because God is, is the same, we can see the complete personality of God. So Jesus healed and delivered the multitudes. Now, of course, the biggest difference is, is we're living under a new and a better covenant established upon better promises. But Jesus healed and delivered the multitudes. So we could say God the Father also healed and delivered the multitudes. Or the Holy Spirit healed and delivered the multitudes. Jesus delivered the captives. The Father delivered the captives. Didn't Jesus say that the Father was in him reconciling the entire world to himself? Jesus went about doing good and destroyed the works of the devil. When the multitudes went to Jesus, the Bible says Jesus healed them all. Matthew chapter 15 verse 30 says, And great multitudes came to him, uh, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Notice the word there, great multitudes. Not just a multitude, but plural, great multitudes. Lame, blind, dumb, maimed, many others. And I can imagine there were people there of all shapes and sizes. Some big, some little, some old, some young, some men, some women, some children. Isn't that exactly the way it is today when we talk about multitudes of people? All different sizes, all different shapes, all different colors. It says these people were cast at Jesus' feet and he healed them. So here's the truth. All of them came to Jesus. And the great thing about the day we're living in is that Jesus is located, or I guess we can put it this way, he is location independent through the Holy Spirit. That means he'll meet you right where you're at, wherever you're at, whenever you're there. None of these people also had to read a book about how to receive from God in order to receive from God. We need things like that today because we, we hear it preached that Jesus will save everyone that comes to him and that no one, regardless of their past, will be turned away. But we don't hear it preached that Jesus will heal everyone and that no one, regardless of their past, will be turned away. We hear the exact opposite. That's the fault of really the preachers when you think about it. And I believe that's one of the reasons why the Bible says, <clears throat> James chapter 3, verse 1 in the uh, Weymouth New Testament, really says it very clearly in this version. It says, Do not be eager, my brethren, for many among you to become teachers, for you know that we teachers shall undergo severe judgment. These, were, these words have stuck with me now going on uh, 30 plus years that 
I've been a believer in everything that I've ever shared from Bible studies to um, uh, church pulpits and everything in between. Is there a difference uh, between then and now when you think about the Jesus who actually walked the dusty streets of uh, Israel back in that time? Uh, You know, one difference, I would say, you know, God never changes, Jesus never changes, but one difference as far as you and I are concerned is we don't see the physical person, Jesus Christ, any longer. Being able to look into his face, or even from a distance, being able to see him, even if we were like a football field away and we heard his voice, being able to hear that voice firsthand would be a tremendous boost, I think, that's for sure. I don't care. Have you ever listened to someone preaching and it was just powerful and the Holy Spirit was just touching your heart? Well, whatever that experience was like, I guess you can multiply it tenfold of what it would have been like to hear Jesus firsthand teaching and preaching. But on the other hand, he's not physically here and it's really to our advantage, even according to him, that he was leaving, because as crazy as it may sound, let me just, let's just listen to the explanation that he gave in his own words. Uh, John chapter 16, starting in verse 5, he said, but now I go to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where do you go? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Sorrow has filled their heart because Jesus said he's going away. Verse number 7, but I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when that one comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. He will convict the world. That, to me, says that everyone, regardless of whether they admit it or deny it on the surface, has been convicted, at least at one point in their life, of what's the difference between sin, righteousness, and the fact that judgment is due for breaking these laws. Concerning sin, he says in verse number nine, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. If you think about this life for a moment, and then I'm going to get back and pick it up in verse 13, but if you think about this life, if you're a little bit older, isn't it true that there were certain times in life where you weren't ready for certain things, where we could apply that, but you you can't bear it at this point? Sometimes you're just ready to hear something, and sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're ready to experience something, and sometimes you're not. But isn't it true that until you get a little bit older, you always think you're ready? You always want it now. You don't want to wait until later. All right, let me get back here. Verse number 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all the truth. You know, sometimes people say, well, how do I know if it's the Holy Spirit? And But, but here, the, the responsibility to guide you is with the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all the truth. In other words, if you are hard of hearing when it comes to spiritual things, Does that mean he'll stop guiding you? No. He'll use whatever he needs to use to guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he hears, he shall speak, and he will announce to you things to come. 
Isn't that interesting? And does the spirit of truth has the same basic mission for every single one of God's children. He will announce to you things to come. He will guide you into all truth. And whatever he hears from Jesus, whatever he hears from the Father, he will speak to you. He will glor- Verse 14, he will glorify me for he will receive of mine and will announce it to you. So somebody might say, well, I've never heard the Holy Spirit really say much of anything. But really he has. Sometimes he used other people. It's just that you didn't hear it. I've even been listening to music before. And a certain phrase will pop out of that song. And I won't even hear the rest of the song. It's almost like the Holy Spirit used that phrase to get my attention. All different ways, not just just from, you know, you have to be sitting there reading the Bible. And I don't want to put down reading the Bible, of course. That doesn't make any sense. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that he's not limited to you physically looking at a physical book. The Holy Spirit being inside of you can lead and guide you through promptings, through your own conscience, your your consciousness, uh, through the unconscious part of you, you can naturally find yourself doing the will of God. I think that's really exciting when you do the right thing and you, you don't even realize that you did what God wanted you to do until hindsight. I think that's excellent <laughs> that God works that way. Um, but Jesus said in verse 12, I have many things to say to you, but you're not ready yet. And then he further states that the Holy Spirit will take what he hears from Jesus and speak it to you in verse 13. So, Consider this, when that word comes to you, when Jesus speaks to you through the Holy Spirit, as an individual, faith will come. Now, I know sometimes when you hear faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, you might think about a preacher or that you're listening to an audio or that you're present in a group and someone's reading the scriptures. All of those things are true. What's also true that most people don't really think about much is the fact that when the Holy Spirit hears Jesus say something and then he speaks it to you, to your heart, faith comes also that way. Jesus's words, whether you're reading them in the Bible, chapter and verse, or whether you're hearing them being spoken to you as an individual through the Holy Spirit into your heart, into your mind, into your being, faith comes so faith comes by hearing not just what is being preached to you, but perhaps more importantly, which we forget, what the Holy Spirit says to you, because he's going to say whatever Jesus tells him to say. For example, Psalm 107.20 says, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Sometimes people put so much emphasis on trying to believe or trying to get rid of their unbelief. When the Bible says simply that faith comes by hearing, hearing what Jesus is saying. Isn't that true with the, the father of the epileptic, one of my, which has become my favorite example of, of unbelief in the entire New Testament? You can have belief and unbelief both at the same time. The boy brought his son who was seized by a spirit, and he said oftentimes he would throw himself into the the fire or the water, and he would just wallow around on the ground foaming. And he said to Jesus, I brought him to your disciples, and your disciples couldn't cast the spirit out. And Jesus, um, he said, if you can do anything, help me. And Jesus said, it's not what I can do, but it's what you can believe. If you can believe, Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes. 
The father cries out, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And Jesus didn't correct him when he said that. If he had said something wrong, I'm sure Jesus would have stopped him. And, and just as he did when he said, Lord, if you can do anything, help me. Jesus turned it right back around and said, if you can believe. But what happens when we have unbelief that's there? And we're in the position that the father is and we're crying out, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Have you ever felt, and I know I have, let me just say that up, let me just say this up front. I know that there is times where I know exactly what the Bible says, but I just did not have expectation. I was filled with uncertainty and I couldn't even logically explain to you why that was. There was a, a presence of unbelief there. And if I had to articulate to you why that was, I'd, I wouldn't even know where to start. Maybe I would tell you, oh, I haven't been reading the Bible enough this week, or I haven't been thinking about the right things, and I've allowed unbelief in. But see, this is the place where if you try to fix yourself, you're in for a really long, hard, miserable, usually struggle. Whereas if you get your focus off of yourself and onto Jesus, you put yourself in a place where Jesus isn't going to stop talking. And when Jesus talks, faith comes. It's just sometimes it takes us a little time to be able to listen, a little time to be able to, to hear. And to do that, we have to refocus what we're looking at, who we're looking at, and where we're really putting our whatever trust we have at that moment in. Jesus, God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, they will send a word into your heart if you're willing to seek them and you're willing to listen. Seeking, seeking God in the Bible, seeking God in prayer, seeking God in your thought life and in your understanding, seeking God in your heart, right? What does it say? They ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. It's talking about a complete involvement, not just a casual glance. A casual glance and seeking are two different things. Now, the people who lived during Jesus's time they had, again, what we might perceive as an advantage of hearing his literal words audibly with their physical ears and seeing him with their physical eyes. And Jesus himself realized that seeing him working miracles in real time, that in and of itself would have a profound effect upon people. And, and he acknowledged this. In Matthew chapter 11, verse number 20, he says, well, it says, then began he to upbraid the cities where most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, verse 21, uh, Chorazin. Woe unto, unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And you know, Tyre and Sidon were two cities that were completely sacked by military forces. So not having Jesus physically in front of us requires for us to extend our faith in a way that's a little bit different than it was for the original disciples. And, and there's nothing wrong with admitting that. But having the Holy Spirit with us also gives us a different kind of advantage that the original disciples didn't have until after he left. Are you following what I'm saying? So, okay, so some final thoughts on the asking part. This is from the English Standard Version, James chapter 1, verse number 3. Starting there, it says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect. In other words, don't withdraw it. 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, meaning, (laughs) what do I do next? What do I do in this situation? Let him ask God. There's the word ask again, same word in the original Greek. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all, not to most, but to all, without reproach, and it shall be given him. Remember what we said, ask also means to crave, to desire. In other words, it has just as much to do with the state of the heart as, as it does the fact that you're literally asking. Those two things are working together, the heart and the mouth. But let him ask in faith, verse number six, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So does asking work? Yes. Does asking work all the time? Well, if you're a believer and you expect an answer, yes, asking works. If you're listening in your heart with ears that hear, yes, prayer works, asking works. Now, the context of all of this, and not to be legalistic about it, but the context is that you're asking for something that's for you. You're not asking for me, not that you can't, but praying for others also involves their wills and what they want. But is God willing that anyone perish? Of course not. Did Jesus die just for the sins of a handful of people, or did he pay for the sins of the entire world? Now, if someone loves to walk in the darkness, our asking on their behalf for them to see the light will have an effect, but they can still harden their heart. And I think the main point is here not to try and figure out where somebody's will is or or to get so involved with the technicalities uh, of, of this, because there's just things that we can't know. We can't be inside somebody else's mind or heart. We don't know what's in there. I think the main point is what we're told is not to give up. And this goes back to Luke chapter 18, 1, when Jesus said that we should pray and not give up, not give up on our own prayers for ourselves, not give up on the prayers that we've prayed for others. And every prayer and every conversation you will ever have with God is an act of faith in and of itself when you, when you get right down to it. So Hebrews chapter uh, 10, verse 38, this is the King James Version. It says this, it says, The just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So we walk by faith and not by sight. And the idea here is don't give up, don't faint, don't give in, don't throw in the towel. And there will be times when it feels like you're trapped in a place of unbelief. Where you ask for something, And you just don't see anything. And as time goes on, your level of expectancy or expectation can dwindle down till it becomes almost nothing. And I know what it's like to keep on keeping on just to not quit. But your heart really isn't in it to the same degree that it was the very first time you prayed. And that's when you more or less expect your problems to not be going anywhere anytime soon. And and you gradually learn to live with some things. And I think you know exactly what I'm talking about because we've all been there. Speaking of been there, there are still places we haven't been to yet. Places that are above and beyond where it feels like we're stuck at the present moment. 
And what you need to remember, what I'm reminding you about is this, God is willing to take you there. The fact that you're not there yet. Again, why are we encouraged to walk by faith and not by sight? Because if you walk by sight, it looks like, well, sometimes God's on time, sometimes he's late, sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no. And these are all based on not what the Bible says, that expectation hasn't been created by chapter and verse. That kind of expectation and thinking has been created by your own personal experience. And when your own personal experience is saturated in unbelief, which every single one of us knows exactly what that's like, even Jesus' disciples that lived with him 24-7, that saw the miracles firsthand, they also fell into unbelief. So if they could do it, it could happen to them, it could happen to us. So the point here is don't settle for where you're at if you're not seeing God's best in your life. And God's best is, is peace, is righteousness, is light with no darkness in it at all. If there's any darkness that is in your life, don't accept that as just, well, everybody else basically experiences the same thing. So I guess I'm more or less, this is where we're at. And I know it's so easy to do because the, uh, it takes more effort to fight than it does to just be passive and sit back and... But I also know what it's like to just have no more energy left. And the, the thing is, is that once you settle for something, you stop growing. And once you stop growing, there's no need for you to be here anymore. I mean, this entire experience is all of the tests, what, what the devil means for destruction, God can turn for good. We can grow in faith. We can grow in um, wisdom and knowledge and we can become what God has designed us to be, just like Jesus. Again, Hebrews 10, 38, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul has no pleasure in him. All right, back to Matthew chapter 7's Ask, Seek, and Knock. Luke 12, 29. Seek not, it says, And seek not what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither be of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world, or we could say the peoples of the world, seek after. Your Father knoweth that you have need of these things, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that which you have and give alms, Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, and neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, let me just focus here in the moment on the seeking part. Remember, ask, seek, knock. Seeking means what you're looking for, of course. When you're looking for something, you're spending much of your time thinking about or being pre preoccupied with whatever that thing happens to be. That's what seeking is. Listen to the verses that preceded Luke 12, 29, which I, where I just started. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. For life is more than meat, and the body more than raiment. But consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor, ba nor barn, and God feeds them. How much more are you better than the fowls? And which of you, taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If you then, um, 
be not able to do the thing which is least, why take you thought for the rest? So we see the word thought here in verse 22. We see taking thought in verse 25. We see thought, the word thought again in verse 26. Now picking it up with verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say to you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Verse 29. And seek not what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. So we see the word thought once, twice, three times. We see doubtful mind summing it up in verse 29. The doubtful mind of verse 29 is the mind of unbelief. Maybe we can also call the doubtful mind the troubled mind, the trouble or worried mind. So seek the kingdom of God. Luke 17, 21 says, the kingdom of God is inside of you. God, the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, all three will never leave you nor forsake you. It's the mind that believes you're more than less uh, or more or less on your own. So you better worry. The point is, if you spend time thinking about God's promises, if you spend time thinking about God's ability, if you spend time thinking about God's love, if you start thinking about Jesus' sacrifice, and you start thinking about the plan of redemption, if you start thinking about the Holy Spirit and his power, all of those things keep the forces of stress and worry at bay because of where your focus is. And where your focus is, ultimately, that's where your heart is. And that's what you become preoccupied with. Becoming preoccupied with the supernatural world, the eternal world that we're already a part of. But when we become preoccupied with problems, the problems can threaten our peace of mind. The problems begin to trouble the heart of the person that's thinking about them. So a sure sign that you're walking in faith and not in doubt or unbelief is the fact that you have rest and peace in your heart whenever the problem you're already prayed about, you've already prayed about, comes to your mind. So if I bring up a problem that you've prayed about and immediately you're hit with this unrest and uncertainty and just negative feelings, then you know that you're still in a place where you're struggling with unbelief. But if I bring up a problem and you say, that's already taken care of, I prayed and in my heart I already have the answer, and you're filled with joy and belief and expectancy, can you see the difference? <clears throat> in my own experience, I can easily recall times that I've asked God for something, knowing it was his will, but still left that prayer time with a feeling of unrest and uneasiness about the situation whenever it came back into my mind. And the same thing goes when I've prayed for others. In the past, what I would do is I would grit my teeth and I'd just try and plow through to a place of believing and not doubting, but that didn't always work either. When you're truly in faith, you have rest in your heart. Deep down on the inside, you have peace in your heart. Hebrews 4, uh, starting verse number 9 through 11, it puts it this way. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he that has entered into his rest has also ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us therefore labor, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of what? Of unbelief. So seeking God in your thought life, 
when it comes uh, to prayer can help bring you to a place of rest and belief. Sometimes you get there faster than others. Personally, I've come to the conclusion that I think it's it's the power of God that is literally taking us from a place of unrest to a place of rest. In other words, the human effort that we put into getting to a place of rest will only take us so far, and sometimes that's not all the way. I know what it's like to put in an effort and to get there, and I know what it's like to put in an effort and not get there. And so I think the lesson in that, at least for me, is that when you've given your all and your all still isn't enough, then instead of giving in or giving out or figuring out how to somehow do what you weren't able to do previously— Make sure 100% of your focus is in a, about God, about God's promises, about the Holy Spirit, about the plan of redemption, about Jesus Christ, all of this, and let allow the power and ability of God to do something on the inside of you, in your heart, that you can't do yourself. That's the key right there. And, that, and that's where we begin to know God personally. It's one thing to take a scripture and to quote it, and to pray and to do what you what you're doing and boom the answer is there. I've seen that happen before. It's another thing when you've prayed every which way you know how and the problem is is getting worse, not better. Especially if the pain is uh, if you're dealing with a physical pain, and it's more than just a circumstance, and you're dealing with all of these threats coming in bombarding your mind. And it's another thing when the peace of God, which passes all understanding takes all of that away. And if you had to duplicate that feeling in your own power, you'd be unable to do so. And so the nice thing about it is the Holy Spirit is ready, willing, and able to help us every, through every step of this process, every step of the way. Yes, we have to endure, but sometimes you'll find that it's really hard to endure and you'll be like a child, like a baby that can't feed itself or clothe itself You'll come to a place where you're just 110% completely reliant on the ability of God to solve the problem for you. And that is in the flesh, in the natural, that's kind of a scary place to be because when you've done all you know how to do and you're still none the better, when you've taken all the knowledge that you've gained and all the experience you've gained, you still hit a wall. It puts you in a place where the threats now seem like just a breath away from becoming reality. When it seems like loss is imminent and unavoidable. I'm saying that God is there to transform that situation 100%. You just have to be willing to completely let go and put everything in his hands and stop trying to calculate what type of loss it's going to be. Or what terrible thing may happen. Human effort only takes us so far. So like I said, I think it's the power of God that takes us from the place of unrest to the place of rest. And knowing that going in is can mean the difference between um, rest and unrest, at, le- at least in your mind. Just knowing that going in is something good to hold on to. So, uh, okay. Letting go and giving up are two different things. I guess that's the thing that that's the point that I'm trying to make. Said a lot of things just to get there. (laughs) Letting go and giving it to God and giving up are two different things. All right. Finally, in Matthew chapter 7, it says, knock and it shall be open to you. And I love the visuals here. Knock. Why knock? Because some doors can only be open on the inside. 
If the door was unlocked, you wouldn't have to knock. If you're already inside, you wouldn't have to knock. The word knock means that there's something separating you from the inside. That's called the door. And some places aren't open to us until we're invited in. Uh, This is the same uh, word that's used in Revelation chapter 3, verse number 20, where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. In this case, we're the one behind the door and Jesus is knocking and we can choose to open that door or not. The Holy Spirit can be knocking on the door of your heart concerning a situation right now. You have the choice to open the door and sit down with God and and fellowship with him or not. Or you can do it, try it on your own. So in this case, we have the choice to open the door and let him in. In Matthew chapter 7, we're the ones knocking. And because we're the children of the master of the house, remember this, the door will always be open. Jesus said it will always be open to us. Jesus said in uh, John chapter 10, it says, Jesus said to them again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. And if any man enter in, he will be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus said he is the door. So when you combine asking, seeking, and knocking the way Jesus explained it, you can see why it's not God's intention that we ever give up, that we ever give in. And if we give out, it's in a good and positive way. It's putting the situation in his hands, knowing very well that we did the best that we could with it, but our best is not enough, but that doesn't matter. Because where our best ends off, God's resources are just beginning. And when you're right in the middle of what can sometimes be multiple problems or multiple challenges in your life, it can be easy to default back to your own knowledge, your own understanding, and you start wondering, why is this happening? Did I open a door and allow evil to come into this situation or my life or my family? And just know that as long as we're on this earth, you know, we close and we lock doors, we lock windows in our homes. Because if we left the door wide open, who knows what would come in in the middle of the night? Maybe an animal would come in. Maybe a person would come in. Uh, You know, on the other hand, you can be doing everything right. And you still, at least everything that you can possibly do in your own power. And you still come under attack because see the life of the Apostle Paul and the original apostles. Most of them were persecuted above and beyond what we consider to be normal today. So, and that, that's why God didn't just give us the written word and send us on our way. He also gave us the Holy Spirit to confirm that word and to speak it alive to us as we need it in each individual situation. He's alive on the inside of us to lead us and guide us into all the truth. And if you want to know the truth about what's happening to you right now and what you may need to do next, don't just rely on the things that you already know or understand. You may, or, you may not know enough and your understanding may be lacking So instead, just learn to rely on the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you because that's what he's here to do and that's what he wants to do. That's what God's will is. All right, that's about all for now. I really hope you received something from this and I hope that you have everyone, every single one of you, I hope that you have a very peaceful, very enjoyable rest of this Christmas season. Do your best to minimize the amount of media reporting that you take in and I think that'll help a lot. I hope the upcoming year brings good things into your life. And know this, with each passing year, we're getting closer and closer to that day when God brings this age to an end 
And we can all look forward to being part of something just much, much better in, in the future, which is yet to come. That's all for now. I hope what I've shared with you today has helped you, has encouraged you, has lifted you up on the inside. Have a Merry Christmas, a few weeks away. I hope again you have a great New Year. I hope that truly the New Year brings better things into your life. That's all for now. God bless you, and I'll talk to you soon.